start recording. Okay, so this week's Parshat MR is amazing. Um, I'm just going to mute all of you so that I can hear. Okay. So this week's Parashat, Parashat MR, just to do a quick overview of it, because like we said, um, the Haftarat are chosen for different reasons. Some because of they fit in with what's happening, you know, in the calendar during the year. Others are picked because it matches so closely with what's happening in the Parsha. And others are, are, are chosen, oh no, those are the reasons that, people, that the Haftarat are chosen. And so this week's Parsha is an amazing example of the Haftarah and the Parsha really really kind of syncing up in a very clear um a very clear uh way like we can we can understand why the chachamim chose this Torah portion because the, this week's um parsha talks very much about the big day kohana the kohanim what they have to do how they had to stay pure in order to to do their avada and the um and the the haftarah yecheskel chooses it says exactly almost the same thing it's a very interesting half is because what we don't see often in navi is we don't see um the navi really giving us halacha that's not his job really his job is to give us spiritual guidance right halacha comes from torah and yet in this week's this week's half we'll see that yecheskel seems to be giving us really halachic guidelines of what to do so let's have a look quickly, a brief overview of the parasha. Then we'll have a look at who Yechezkel was, when he prophesied, and then we'll have a look at the Haftarah itself and what it's telling us But the message, and then we'll get to a message. So there's quite a bit to, to go through. Okay. Um, this week's Torah parasha of MR, basically to speak, it begins with the laws talking of to the Kohanim, to the priests, okay? And, the, and then we also have laws that pertain specifically to the Kohen Gadol. Um, and of course, the Avada, the, the Avada of the Beit Hamikdash, the Avada of the, of the, of the um, Mishkan, and then of the Beit Hamikdash. A Kohen, we're told, cannot become um, ritually impure. He cannot become Tame. Um, he cannot become, and in, in particular, this time we're talking about Tumat Meit, the, the, the impurity that comes from, from death, from a dead body, right? And, he, and a Kohen, a regular Kohen, can only become Tame on the occasion of the death of a close relative. So he can only go to a funeral, a burial of a close relative. And there's a list given, and it says that, you know, um, a Kohen Gadzal though, cannot even become Tame for that. Okay, he, he really cannot become Tame. And um, we talked about who a Kohen can and cannot marry, um, who can serve which type of Kohen, if he has a mum, if he has some sort of um, deformity that doesn't allow him to serve, like he cannot do the service, then he won't, um, then he can't serve. And it talks about like, you know, how young a, a carbon can be. I think it has to be, it has to be at least um, seven days old before you can bring it as a carbon. So it talks about, you know, and then the second part of the um, Parsha talks about the Chagim, which like if I was giving a Parsha class, is so much fun to talk about. It talks about Pesach and Shavuot, and it talks about Shabbos, and it talks about, you know, everything. It talks about the Omer. It talks about, you know, so many things that we can pick apart from. But that's basically, um, in a nutshell, the Haftarah. So um, let me just quickly share with you the source sheet. Um, 
where is that? One second. How do I find this? Oh, it has to be open. One second, sorry. Technology again. So the so Yechesko comes and he and and he comes at a time of great kind of um, confusion for the Jewish people. So we're going to have a look at why he would write what he writes. Where are they? How can I not share this? Okay, I can't find it. But you've got everyone has the source sheet. Yeah. Just not if you have it. We don't have okay. it. It didn't pop up on the chat. Oh, okay. So why can I not share it with you guys? One second. <laughs> um, I'm gonna try send it to you again, but I've got it. Mm. I could also send it to you, Sarah, if you would prefer. Yeah, maybe try doing that. I think we're on Jamie's iPad and I think she's had problems getting it on here before. I don't have it either though. So what? if you could pass me too, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm gonna put it up now and then I'll see if I can also get it. But I cannot see. I'm gonna try to get it on the Maya note WhatsApp if I can. Nope, that's the wrong one. Um why can't I get it up? There we go. Okay. So it's from Mzalad in Yecheskel. And who is he talking to? So he's talking to the Kohanim, Halavim, B'nai Tzadok. Who is Tzadok? Okay. Yecheskel is talking to, or who are his descendants? So Tzadok, we actually can see from um from the book of, of chronicles and from shmuel bet we we're told that sadok is the kohen gadol during the time of david hamelech and shlomo hamelech okay sadok is a righteous righteous man he's, he's a tzaddik he's he's recorded as being that but also he comes sadok is is Divrei tell us that Sadok comes from the family of Eliezer, the son of Aaron. So that's who his kind of kohuna comes through, okay? So these are the descendants of Sadok. So talking about a great person here. And, and Yechezkel is telling this to these people, okay? And then if you have a quick browse through it, we're talking about like, you know, um, if you look in Tetzayin, it says here, and um, you can you shall enter my sanctuary um, you shall approach you know shulchani um, my table and um, you'll be ministering to me Hashem is saying this is you are here the Kohanim are here to serve me okay let's go back to the beginning it says my sanctuary and Hashem is really taking quite a possessive um, stand the Kohanim you are here to serve me okay and it talks about what they should wear. It talks about what they should do, where they can go. Um, uh, very, like, it lays out kind of what they can do. They cannot drink wine. They cannot, um, they cannot, you know, have hair that is too short or hair that is too long. He's saying you have to look presentable. You are a Kohen God. You are a Kohen for me, okay? 
Um, and he says, again, we're told who they can and cannot marry. Um, and um, what it says that, oh, here yeah, in Hafgimo, that the et in me and my people shall teach the difference between Kodesh, the Chalben, holy and the mundane, right? And you have to know what's, what's going to do. You have to be able to keep yourself separate from that which is going to make you tame. Why? Because if you're tame, you cannot serve in the Mikdash. You cannot serve in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? And then also we're told in Haftalad, for Ali Riv, and in, in disputes, you're going to have to stand judgment. You are going to have to take a, 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 a role in what is happening in the people. Okay, and and mishpachti, all the the um the mishpat or the laws, you're going to have to decipher it. You're going to have to decide who is guilty, who is innocent, who gets you know who gets what. This is going to be up to you. Um, you're going to come and you're going to come during my appointed times, during my um um chagim, during Shabbos and everything. Okay, and then it's tell then it says okay here in chafhei they were told again no you cannot come um near dead bodies. Okay, except, and then he lists what the parsha, this week's parsha list. He says, for a father, for a mother, for a son, for a daughter, for a brother, for a sister, who is unmarried, then you can come and, and become um, Tame mates, right? Meaning that he's not really bringing, this isn't prophecy so much as he's kind of reiterating what the Torah already tells us. And then he goes on to um, go on. I love this in Chavchet in, um, in verse 28 when it says that you guys, Kohanim, you are not going to get an inheritance. You don't get, I mean, you get the greatest inheritance. You get Kohuna. You inherit that from your father. But you're not going to get a portion of land. Okay? You, why don't you get a portion of land? Because I am your portion. I am what you possess. You don't get the physical land, you get me. Okay, and we know that what do we have to do with the coin? We give from our our um Mesa, our our tithing, we give to the coin, we bring our first fruits, we bring certain carbon not to Hashem and the carbon and the coin is allowed to eat from that carbon. We look after the Kohanim because they look after us in a spiritual way. And then it can, and then it finishes with what we bring to Hashem uh, to the Kohen, and it says that the Kohen cannot eat anything that does it that isn't shechted properly. Okay, this is great. But now let's have a look at this in the context in which it was written. Yecheskel isn't writing this as an explanation to Tanakh, because that's not his job. He's not a, a, a he's not one of the commentators. He's a navi. Okay, so who is Yecheskel, and why is he writing this now? Okay, so let's have a look. Um, at who is Yechesko? Okay. Anyone know anything about Yechesko? No? Okay, so we're going to bring up the timeline, which, um, let's see, where did I put it? One second. Can you see my screen now or not? Yeah? Okay. So, timeline. Okay. Come on. Okay. No. There we go. Can you see the timeline? No. Okay. 
Okay, one second. Let's see if I can work out how to share it. There we go. Okay, this is uh, the timeline that we're going to talk about a lot when we talk about the Nevi'im. And Yechezkel is this time period here. No, right? He is here. Now, how do I know this? This is he's towards the end of the of the chapter of Malachim, of the section of the kings, right? So he's going to straddle the um, end of the monarchy and the beginning of the destruction and exile of the people. So he's at a time of great turmoil, okay? This is Yechezkel, and he actually is one of the few prophets who prophesizes outside of Eretz Yisrael in Babel. Okay, great. But who is he? So this is where we're talking. Now let's go back to our um, source sheet and have a look at um, where we're talking. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Yechezkel, the book of Yechezkel covers a really interesting portion of Jewish history. It's one of, it's one of my favorite to teach because so many elements of Tanakh come up in this section of, of um, Jewish history, but it's a period of 22 years that he is, um, that his book covers, okay? So the whole book of Yechezkel is a 22-year period, and we know that because it, he mentions certain kings and certain historical events. So we're able to see when exactly he was prophesying, okay? And it's the years of, of history that really um, kind of change the Jewish people and 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 a new kind of way of being and of serving Hashem has to come out of this time period. So the beginning of, of the book is the five years in the exile of King Jehoiakim, okay? One of the kings of Israel who is exiled by Nebuchadnezzar before the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash He's exiled, okay? And Rashi tells us, have a look at the first first um, source. It says, the prophetic word from before the Lord was revealed to Yechezkel, the son of Buzi, the priest in the land of Israel. So Yechezkel is a Kohen, okay? He's a son of a Kohen, which means he's a Kohen. It returned a second time to him, says Rashi, and spoke with him in the state in the land of the Chaldeans in Babel. Now, Yechezkel was exiled with the craftsmen and the sentries of the gates. So who were the people who sat at the gates? The judges. Okay? And they were exiled with Yechonia or Yechayakin, Melech Yehuda. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Someone else who we read? Maybe if you read it in, in the Eichatun. Asher Yerushalayim. Anyone? No? We're told of somebody else whose grandfather was also exiled with Yehoiachin. With Yehoiachin, sorry. Anyone? It's a second source. We're told, Ish Yehudi haya b'shoshan habira u'shmoa mordechai ben Yair ben kish ish yemini. No, you got it. <laughs> yeah? I can see it clicks. And what is what do we read? Asher Hagla. I wish I could do the tune. Asher Hagla, Mirushalayim, Im Hagla. Right? 
he was exiled from Yerushalayim, im hagla with those who were exiled in Yechonia Melech Yehuda, asher hagla b'yevuchadnetza Melech Bavel. Okay, Mordechai comes from a noble family as well. Mordechai's grandfather, so Mordechai, his father was Shimi, but it was Yair. His grandfather was Yair. His great grandfather, sorry, was Kish. Kish and Yechezkel were exiled at the same time. Okay, now three generations later, the Jew, the, the center of, of the exile is no longer Bavel. Where is it? It's Persia, right? So this is, I'm trying to put him in context. Mordechai is where he is and the Jews are where they are because Nebuchadnezzar is going to exile the people. Who does he start with? He starts with the nobility. He starts with the, the heads of the, first of all, he starts with the king. And who does he put in, 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 in Yohania's place? He puts in Titkiyahu, I think, who becomes like a vassal king. He's a, a, a puppet king. He, he's meant to be doing um, Nebuchadnezzar's bidding, right? But who, do, who is um, exiled with Yohania? Yechesko, he's, he's from a priestly family. The priests are exiled. The nobility is being taken away. Who is also taken at this time? Mordechai's great-great-grandfather. Okay, just to put a bit of context of these people in Tanakh. Because interestingly enough, Yechesko doesn't write down his prophecies. His prophecies are collated by who? By the Anshe Knesset Hagadala, the men of the Great Assembly. And they are the ones who come in this time period, after the exile, so after the return. So we have this time period here where Mordechai is, okay, here in the Purim story. They're the ones who are actually going to write down the books of uh, the, the prophecies of Yechezkel. And a few people ask why. The, it could be that, that they were written down at the time, but they just weren't collated as one book yet which, by the way, is a lot of Tanakh was like that. But it was, it could also be that because he, he prophesied outside of Eretz Yisrael, that he himself thought maybe this is a prophecy just for this generation and not for all generations. But the Anshe Knesset Haggadah said, no, this is a prophecy for all generations, right? We spoke about this, I think, in the beginning of this Haftarah class, of this Hatara series, that when Tanakh was collated, the Anshe Knesset Haggadah decided, and we see this, sorry, the, we see the discussion in um, the Gemara, the Rabbanim kind of deciding who, what's going to come in, what's not going to come in, and the Anshe Knesset Haggadah then end up collating it, and it's sealed off as Tanakh, right? So we always know that, of course, Chamish and Chomshay Torah are going to be in there, right? They're the five books of the Torah, there's no discussion. But what happens afterwards is discussion of what's going to be in there. And it could have been that Yechezkel thought that because he was prophesying outside of Eretz Israel, his stuff wouldn't make it in. Um, but no, it does make it in because the prophecy that he gives is one that isn't time specific, but rather something we can learn for all generations. Okay, so um, this is a crazy momentous time for the people. For the first time since entering the land, we start having two distinct, distinct um, Jewish communities. We have that with um, in Bavel, and 
being uh, having been exiled <clears throat> and then we also have the ones left in Eretz Israel and this is by the way the beginning of their being like a, a, a Jew a, a Jewish center in Eretz Israel and a diaspora and that's going to influence how um, Judaism is lived from now on because once the destruction happens for the second Beit Hamikdash right this time period here we're going to have the Gemara being written down the Mishnah being written down because we're no longer having a central Jewish world. But this already happened at the, at the beginning of the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar's rule here, we start having this breakaway of two different communities because the, the, the nobility, the, the, the leadership was exiled. Um, and we're never going to have one central Jewish community again. Unfortunately, even now we don't have that. We have Jews all over the world. You know, Baruch Hashem that we do, but also at the same time, not everyone is living you know, with the times of Mashiach, so it's not a good thing. Okay, <clears throat> so um, that's what's happening this time. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, Yechezkel spends his, the rest of his life in Babel, and that's where most of his Nebuah takes place, in this place. Um, and it's unique in that um, very few prophets have Nebuah outside of Eretz Israel. Can you think of one, or there's a few, but can you think of one other one that we know that has? Anyone? I'll give you a hint. We read his entire book when we read a Haftarah. He's the only Navi that we read his entire book at the same time when we have a Haftarah. Yonah? Yonah. Yonah has an, a, a prophecy outside of Eretz Israel. Good job. Right? Okay, so, and, and um, we have also a very clear way of his book being divided, Yechezkel. So we have in the beginning, the first 24 prakim are him talking before the destruction and he's telling the people the destruction is going to happen the destruction is going to happen very similar to Yirmiyahu in that he is warning them you have to do better okay and he's also he's coming from outside of Eretz Israel and he's saying um don't think it's not going to happen look where I am I am exiled I'm telling you destruction will happen exile will happen Hashem will cause the land to, to throw us out then we have the chapters, um, Prakim, Lama Gimel, 33 until 48. Those are post-destruction. So that's this time period here. Okay, so it's already in the time period of the exile. And then we have between chapters 24 and 33, we have a whole lot of prophecies which are not directed at the Jewish people, but rather at the surrounding nation. So to Emar and to all the other people, and they're not any, in any order. But the rest of the, the two bookends, the pre-destruction and post-destruction, are actually in chronological order. So we can learn a lot of history from that. But interestingly, the second half, which is post-destruction, is also going to be about comfort about going back to the land. So like I said, the chapter 34 and 4 to 48, the end of the book, are about post-destruction, about comfort. Our Haftarah this week comes from Memdalev chapter 44, which is in the post-destruction era, right? It's he's prophesying after the destruction, most of the Jews are now in exile in Babel, and Yechezkel is talking to them about service in the Beit Hamikdash. And he's talking to them 
about you know what the Kohen is going to wear. Now the Kohanim's garments have been taken away. There, there is no Beit Hamikdash. It's been destroyed. What is he talking about? He's talking about a time when we go back. And what is he saying? That the rules that apply to the Kohen when you were there with the you know previously, that's going to apply again. And everything that was once there for the Kohen is going to apply again, which makes sense. That the that the Chachamim um, match this this um, part of Yechesko, this part of Navi, sorry, to this week's um, Torah reading because it, it's the same laws. One of Yechesko's prophecies, if you want to look at who he is again, relates to the long-lasting division between the two kingdoms that we spoke about last week. Remember, we spoke about the split of the two kingdoms. And I, I love, I love this, this Nebuah. This prophecy to me is just, it just fixes what went wrong, you know? And he talks about this prophecy where he, he, oh, so he speaks a lot in prose and he also, this is his style. He also does a lot of, he's also commanded by Hashem to do a lot of um, kind of actions to, to, to act out certain um, prophecies so that people can actually see what he's doing and um you know kind of understand what he's like take take a like sorry act in a metaphor kind of way i can't i can't think of the english term for it but he's he's acting out his prophecies so that people can actually see and comprehend it in a very physical tangible way so what he does is yeheskel is instructed to take two big branches and on one of them he inscribes the name of yehuda okay malchut yehuda he writes Yehuda. And on the second one, he, he inscribes the name Ephraim. Remember, we had the two kingdoms last week we spoke about? Malchut Yisrael, Malchut Yisrael, which is Malchut Ephraim, and Malchut Yehuda, which is Beit David, the house of David. And he takes them and he holds them apart. And then what does he do? He then brings them together. And this is meant to symbolize that the Jews who were separated will ultimately be redeemed from exile and that the split that was there will disappear. Now, it's amazing because Yechezkel is prophesying in this time period here. Okay, well, can you see my arrow? Right, he's prophesying this time period. The 10 tribes were exiled this time period by, by Sancherev. We're talking, there's a different world power now. There's different everything. This is around 200 years. And he's saying, so then we're in the middle of this time period, we're talking about almost 300 years. And what's he saying? He's saying, don't worry. Even you're worried about being returned, you'll be returned. But not only will you be returned, but the 10 tribes that we lost, they'll be returned. And not only will they all be returned, but we will be reunited. We'll, be, we'll come back together. They will be shalom. We will be shalem, complete. Okay. So is he talking about the second Beit HaMikdash or the third? Okay, so very interesting. We're not, so some people say that he's talking about the third Beit HaMikdash. There's another um, thing that says that the Beit HaMikdash, the third Beit HaMikdash, you know, we're always told is like, sorry, I'm trying to get into this. I don't have the time. No, he's talking about the second Beit HaMikdash, but he's also talking about the third Beit HaMikdash, which is why, the, that's why the Anshay Knesset HaGadala the Sanhedrin and Sheikh Nasrallah decided 
to put his prophecy in Tanakh because it's going to be forever, meaning that it's going to apply also to the third Beit Hamikdash. Now we have to remember that the time period of the second Beit Hamikdash was not a great time for us. We were never really very well behaved. It didn't last very long, which, you know, can almost be that perhaps the Chachamim and the leaders saw what was going to happen, saw that there was going to be a time when it would be destroyed again because Hashem tells us if we don't listen to to you know if we don't go in the ways of Hashem, what's the land going to do? It's going to kick us out. And they've seen it happen, and they're seeing what's happening now. So it could be that the Chachamim were getting us prepared for another galus. It could also be that they're saying that you know this is something that a lesson there is a deeper lesson than just the physical what we actually have to do in the Beit Hamikdash to be learned from it, but. I think, I honestly think that he's talking about the time when the base Hamidash will stand forever. Now, it could have been the second base Hamidash, but we didn't act well, which means it's going to have to be the third base Hamidash. That he wasn't talking about a specific time, he was talking about a specific um, situation. We just didn't allow that situation to happen. Does that make sense? Nora? Did that make sense? Yeah, sorry. My little sister is also very distracting on the side. Oh, that's you. okay. What I caught makes sense, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's have a look at what it means to be a Kohen in today's day and age. What is the Kohen? Because it seems for Kohen Gazal in, you know, 5780, the year 2020, it's more restrictive than anything else. I mean... Once upon a time when there was a base Hanita, she had certain restrictions on him, but he also had a lot of perks. I mean, he got, you know, choicey barbecue from the, from the Mizbeach. He got, you know, the first fruits. He got certain, you know, we gave him our challah. We gave, you know, he got, there was perks to it. Today, it seems quite restrictive in that a Kohen doesn't go to a cemetery. And, uh, and um, he, you know, there are certain Kohanim who, won't go into the medical field because there's going to be death there. Um, they're quite restricted in what they can and can't do. So today they're bound by the restrictions of what they can't do, but they don't get any of the um, good things. So they can't marry certain people, but they don't get any of the perks of being a Kohen either. They don't get the nice clothing. They don't get the, you know, they just don't get any of the um, perks of the job. A Kohen who was a Balmum, a Kohen who had something that stopped him from being able to do the Avada, so he had, you know, some sort of limitation, um, whether it was a broken limb or he couldn't, I don't know, couldn't do whatever stopped him from doing the, the um, Avada, sorry, he, he was still, in the time of the he still had to um, abide by the restrictive rules. Um, he had to observe all the restrictions that other Kohanim had to do, even if he wasn't going to actually serve in the Beit Hamikdash. So we can see already there's a separation between being Tahar, being pure to go and do the service of the Beit Hamikdash, and being Tahar just because you're a Kohen. There's two different levels here. He has to stay Tahar even if he can never go into the Beit Hamikdash. And the reason for this is because it's not connected to the Beit Hamidash itself, because everyone must be Tahar to enter the Beit Hamidash. So it's not something that's special just to the Kohanim. Of course, I mean, Kalvachama, they have to, even more so, they have to be Tahar. But 
if someone wasn't planning on going to the mikdash or going after Har Habayit, he didn't have to go to the mikvah and he didn't have to purify himself um, for that reason. Whereas a Kohen wasn't allowed to go to, you know, be amongst dead people or be amongst death, because even if he wasn't going after Har Habayit. And the reason for this stems from a stem, sorry, from a fundamental um, role of the Kohen, of his role in, in the community. And it's not just the Avara of the Beit Hamidash. What is the role of the Kohen? To be a teacher, but not just a teacher, to be a teacher of Torah. And what does it say in Malachi? It says from Malachi, one of the minor prophets, it says, um, well, I can't remember the Hebrew, sorry. It says, the lips of the Kohen should be safeguarded so it should safeguard the knowledge of the people, should seek Torah from his mouth, and he is like an angel of, of Hashem, meaning that his role is that the people should be able to come to the Kohen and seek Torah from his mouth. He should be the teacher of Torah. Okay, that is what a Kohen's job is to be. Not just in the Beit Hamidash, but outside in the community, he is a Torah teacher. And what is our Torah? Torah, our Torah, the, the Torah, is Torah Chayim. It's the Torah of life. It is the book of life. And it focuses on this world and the here and the now of this world. And interestingly enough, the Torah doesn't mention anything about Olam Haba, about the world to come. Even it doesn't mention about the times of Mashiach. It's very much about living in this world, the Torah. Okay, why? Because our task is to ensure that we focus and, and better the world that we're in today, the world that we inhabit. That what should it be? That when we leave this world, it should be a better place because we were in it. That is what Hashem was. We have to bring Kedusha, holiness, into this world okay we focus on helping those around us we focus on making the world a better place are taking the, the 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 mundane and elevating it to hashem and bringing kudusha into this world okay and what is the beit hamidash the beit hamidash is the holiest place in this world okay so the kohanim have to be out amongst the people making the the the, the world a place where Torah is taught and lived and mitzvot are done. Har Habayit is a place where that's done even more so. And in Har Habayit, on Har Habayit, what is there? There is the Holy of Holies, the Kaddish Kodashim, that only the Kohen Gadol can go into. So it's degrees of, of kind of, of it's a, a gradient of holiness. Okay, but the one thing that we have to always remember is that Torah is a living thing for the living. Okay, and there's an amazing midrash that when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to give a Torah to the people, whoever bring down the Torah to the people, the Malachim said, "Well, no, don't do that. They're going to they're going to defile it." And Moshe Rabbeinu says, turns to the Malachim and he says, "Do you have parents? Do you have to do kibbutz avayim? You know, do you work that you have to you know give tzedakah with your money?" Like the Torah isn't for Torah, it's not for the heavens. 
Moshe Rabbeinu says, it's for, for man, it's for man to live and to, to live by. And I always say this when I, when I um, teach in that we live by halacha, we don't die by halacha, which is why halacha, if done properly, should uphold life. It should celebrate life. It should never come in, a, in, the, in the place of, of endangering us. Because Torah is a living thing. And we see this. And then we see also why, because like death is, it's, it's sad. It, it takes away that ability to do mitzvah. It takes the ability to continue to elevate ourselves in this world. It robs us of the opportunity to serve Hashem in this world anymore. Because the world to come, we don't have those mitzvah. We don't have the Torah in the same way. And we see this, that someone who is in mourning in their week of Shiva, they're not allowed to learn Torah. That Torah is the book of eternal life and they are mourning death. With death, in a way, a piece of the Torah in this world has also gone because a person should be a living safe Torah. Person is the conduit for which Torah comes into this world. And we see that, that, you know, death is sad in that way. It's not bad in Judaism, it's sad because we've lost that ability to continue. But we also know that death is inevitable. It happens, unfortunately. And even a Kohen has to mourn from his immediate family. And he has to leave the confines of the Beit Hamikdash. And he has to leave Har Habayit. He cannot go there when he is, when he is Tameh. And we see that, but only the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, he is not allowed to. Why? Because we're told in this week's parasha that from the, the, from the, um, from the Beit Hamikdash, he shall not leave. From the temple, sorry, he shall not leave. Now, it doesn't mean that he lives in the Beit Hamikdash, but it means that he should never put himself in a position where he cannot enter the Beit Hamikdash which means that he cannot come in contact with the dead. So even for a close relative where a Kohen can go to the, to the dead, to the funeral, sorry, the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to. Why? Because he represents the Am. He represents the Jewish people. And it is he, the Kohen Gadol, who will atone for the entire nation, for the entire nation on your Kippur. He alone will stand in the Kaddish Kedoshim and he will say Shem Hashem and he will bring the Kataret. One day a year, one man enters the Kaddish Kedoshim. Who is he representing? Not himself, but the entire nation. The Kohen Gadol also, when he wears the Big Day Kahuna, what is, what's on the Ephod? It has, on, sorry, on, yeah, on the Ephod, on the um, Kashen, he has on him the names of all the Shvatim. Okay, because he represents on his heart every single shavit as an individual, as an individual person, he represents them. And on his shoulders, what does he have? The names of six shvatim on one and six on the other, because on his shoulders rests the entire nation. And so therefore, he cannot ever get into a situation where he cannot act on behalf of the entire nation. And all in, and in another way we can look at it, 
is that all individuals pass away. We lose people. People die. They die. Hopefully, you know, after living a good, healthy, long life to 120, but people pass away. And those, and those are the individual family members of the Kohanim. But the nation, the Am, the Jewish people, that will never die. And that is represented by the Kohingato, who cannot go to a cemetery, who cannot become um, Tame from a mate. He will never know the impurity of death. Why? Because we as a people will live on. We as a people will be eternal. The eternity of the Jewish people will not be denied, said Shmuel Hanavi in Sefer Shmuel. He says that the world will see it. The world will expect the Jew to die again and again and again. And what's going to happen? We will lose individuals. But the nation, the nation will live. After describing the laws of, that relate to the Kohanim, the Torah then details the laws of the Chagim. What are the Chagim? What are the biblical holidays? The Yom what are they? They signify the eternity of the Jewish people. They signify our defiance of the natural law of, of, of history, you know. I'm thinking now of the Mark Twain thing, you know, the Jew who's, who survived them all. The Chagin signify our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch with God. And we have survived and we will continue to prosper. And we will not cease to kind of be ready as a nation to always serve Hashem. As an Am, we were kind of likened, all of us together are likened to the Kohen Gadol who acts on all of our behalf. And so as a nation, we will always be ready to serve Hashem. And we are tasked with being this. We're told in Sefer Shemot, we are told that we will be a Mamlecha Kohanim Vagoi Kadash. That we are told that you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is told to the entire Jewish people. While only biologically Kohanim can actually work in the Beit Hamikdash, all of us, with or without a Beit Hamikdash, have to act as Kohanim in the world. We have to strive to teach Torah. We have to strive to serve others and follow in the original Kohen. Who was the original Kohen? Aaron. And what was Aaron known for? He was a Ahev Shalom, Barodev Shalom. He was a lover of peace and a pursuer of peace. He would go out of his way to make Shalom in the camp. He would go to fighting couples and he would bring them together. He would go to warring friends and he would unite them and create peace. And so when Yecheskel holds up the branch signifying the nation, sorry, the tribes of Ephraim, the, the Malchut Ephraim, and the tribes, uh, the Malchut Yehuda, and he unifies them, he's saying a time will come when you will be back together. But right now, we are in Galut. Right now, we are in exile. There is no Beit Hamikdash yet. But what are we tasked to do? Okay, we can't go up to Har Habayit. 
but we're still tasked with being a mamlechat kohanim. We are still tasked with being a nation of priests. What does that mean? It means bring Torah into the world. It means teach Torah. It means be like the original Kohen. Who was the original Kohen? Aaron. Bring peace. Pursue peace. Go out and find your friend and look after your friend. You need to act as Kohanim in this world. Bring Torah. Bring Chesed into this world. And interestingly, tonight, Sreer HaAmer, is Malchut Shabanetzach. It's nobility in endurance. And I think there is such a beauty to the fact that how do we endure as a people? Every week, we light Shabbos candles. Every week, we dress up in our finery. Every year, we celebrate the Chagim. We act as Kohanim, a, a, a sect of nobility. Those who are told, and Echesco tells them, that you can't cut your hair too short and you can't let it grow out too long. Why? Because you're part of the kohana. You're part of the priest. You have to act in a certain way. You have to act with nobility. But more than that, there's an endurance of the arm, of the nation. And we will endure. We will endure with what? With the essence of life. What is the essence of life? Tyra. And so Yechezkel is telling us that yes, we're in Galut. And yes, a time will come when we will go to Harabayir. But until then, we still have to act as Kohanim. We still have to keep ourselves holy and separate. Why? Because we are Mamlecha Kohanim and we have to be a Goy Kadosh, a holy nation. All right, everyone. That's it for this week. Any questions? Thank you so anyway. much. That was no awesome. Yeah, sorry. Can we, is there a way to get this timeline from you? Because it's incredible. Yeah, so I'm still working on it. Okay, um, I'm happy to send it to you, but I sent it to someone last week and I've already made like eight changes to it. So, <laughs> You're so good whenever it's done. So maybe by the end of the, of the, um, of us learning, it will be it. Or it can be like a uh, Mayanot graduation present, but I think that's, that's <laughs> I'll finish it Amazing. by then. Thank you so uh, much. But, Thank you so much. So I'm working on it. So you can definitely get a, a coffee at some point. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Right, Have a good night or good day wherever you are. If you're in Israel, remember to count Sira. I mean, if you're not in Israel, remember to count Sira tonight. But have a good one. Bye, guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Good night.